Good morning. Glad you're here today. Appreciate you coming. We had an awesome Christmas Eve service. If you missed that, I'm so sorry. But for those of you that were here, you know it was an awesome service. However, we did have a bit of a glitch. It appears Brother Robbie broke his mic. So John has placed him on timeout. That's why I'm speaking today. So the key to all staff, do not break your stuff. Or you get in trouble. We're glad, glad you're here this morning. Last week, I talked about a change of plans. Talked about how God works and moves in our lives. And, and when he does, he often changes our plans. And, and he's shaping us and molding us and, and trying to get us where he wants us to be. I pointed out that when God changes our plans, he, he gets our attention, first of all. And then uh, we realize that he's got a better plan for us than what we had. And that ultimately, in the plans he changes in our lives, he wants us to trust him. Well, I want to expand on that thought this morning out of Acts chapter 9, dealing with Saul uh, and his conversion experience. Uh, gentlemen, let me ask you this. Have, have you ever been driving and, and uh, your wife was along with you and she tells you you're going the wrong way? I'm not asking for a show of hands and affirmation, just, you know, you know in your hearts. Um, and she says, oh, you missed the turn, or no, we're supposed to go that way, or this way is quicker, or this way is better, and, and she's giving all this information. Regardless of the instructions she's giving you, you can't help but follow your own instincts, even though you may think in your mind that she's right, for some reason, when she says turn, you just can't. You maybe know you're going the wrong way, and you may know that she is right, but that does not change things, right? You know what I'm talking about. Well, I know it sounds crazy, but sometimes in life, not just in directions, but in life, we're going in the wrong direction. And, and even though we have been urged, prompted, instructed, to change, we don't. We're going in the wrong direction. So let me give you 10 signs this morning by way of introduction to know if you're going in the wrong direction spiritually. Number one, your attention to spiritual disciplines is waning, if not non-existent. Time that we used to spend in the scriptures, we just don't. Or even the time we spend in scriptures now is rushed and hurried, and we're not, really not gleaning anything. Prayer time is rushed, limited, pushed off. It's not what it used to be. It's not that vibrant, uh, filling time that we've had in our life. Secondly, your enthusiasm for attending church is losing steam. Oh, you're here today. You're just not real happy about it. And pretty much everything I say today is just going to go right over you because your mind is somewhere else. Pay attention. You're, you're thinking about something else, this, that, or the other. You're just, you're just not that into it. Um, number three, it's been, it's been months, if not years, since you talked to somebody about your personal relationship with Jesus. And here's why, because it's just not that vibrant to you. You come to church, you don't get much. You read the scriptures. When you do read the scriptures, you don't get much. So it's just really not that part of your life. So you're just not sharing what God's doing in your life or sharing your faith with others. 
old sin battles have returned. Things that maybe in the past you thought, man, I've got that whipped. And now in your life today, you find those old things rising up and those struggles all over again. There's like, because we're off. We're going in the wrong direction. You're hiding stuff. Maybe nobody but you and God knows the struggles you're facing, but you're hiding it. You're hiding it from others. And then folks who know you best to be to ask, hey, you okay? I hate that, don't you? Because, <laughs> you know, no, I'm not okay, but you look at them and say, yeah, I'm fine. Right? Because we're going in the wrong direction. We don't want to admit we're, we're out of sync. Singing God's praises in church is harder to do. Got to sing again. Why do we have to sing so many songs? You tolerate more sin in your own life. Things you wouldn't tolerate and aggravated you in the lives of others, you now find regular in your own life. Wine, gossip, whatever. Bad attitude. Then you make excuses to avoid any level of accountability. In fact, you intentionally avoid some people and, and you're kind of pushing them out of your life. And here's why. Because they ask, how you doing? Where you at? I'm concerned about you. So you, you just do your best to avoid them. And, and the last way you know you're going in the wrong direction is this. If you've gotten defensive over any of the things I've said in these, these things, you're making justification for it, then, or you're turning me out, you know you're headed in the wrong direction. Well, let's look at the scriptures this morning, Acts chapter 9, verse 1. The Word of God says this, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him, to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were in the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you will speak to our hearts today, to my heart. And that, God, you will affect change in all of us here this morning. Uh, there may be some here today uh, that are just playing the game. They know in their hearts that they're not uh, in a relationship with you. They don't have that confidence of eternal salvation. And yet they come to church just to look good. Maybe they're trying it their own way. But, God, whatever it is, I pray that today you will speak to the hearts and draw them to yourself. Then for us who know you and are walking, or have a relationship with you, Lord, maybe some of us have gotten a little cold, a little off bubble here, and we're not going where you want us to go. We're not doing or being who you want us to be. So speak to us today, Lord. Shape us. 
uh, form us. Times like this are always a little uncomfortable because we, we struggle and we resist. But I pray we'll submit and surrender to you today in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. In our scriptures this morning, we see that, that Saul is mentioned here. And we know him as the Apostle Paul. But here he was Saul. He was a Pharisee. He was an ardent follower of Judaism. He had great passion, great desire. He was a scholar of the law. He was a rising star in his religion. He'd been commissioned to go into Damascus and to jail all the followers of, of Christ to, to whatever extent it took. He was zealous in what he did. If you could say nothing else about Paul, you could say, I guarantee you, he will get the job done. He was committed to the task. And we see that here in our past, in, in our scriptures. Um, he, he would go to any length to accomplish his goal. Notice verse number one, uh, he sa says he's breathing threats and murder against the disciples. He's, he's intimidating them. He's using harsh words and harsh language, verbal threats for them to cease and desist this foolishness of following Jesus. And then also... He would even go so far as to incarcerate them and have them killed. Passionate about what he did. However, this journey that he was on to Damascus would change his life completely and forever. A bright light appears. I don't know about you, but if you happen to just be walking along in, in a unusually bright light appears, it gets your attention. And uh, he, being a religious man, just thought maybe an angel was going to appear or something, and he, and he fell to his knees. And, and then he hears a voice. He wasn't a schizophrenic kind of guy. I mean, this was literally a voice that he hears. And, and the voice says, why are, why are you persecuting me? Why are you trying to hurt me? And he says, who are you? Because he doesn't know what he's doing and who he's talking to. And then the voice declares, I am Jesus. And instantly, things happen in Paul's life. Because he knows. He knows who this Jesus is. All the Pharisees did. And, and, he said, and the voice speaks that to him. This, this is the Jesus the religious leaders of his day hated. This is the Jesus who they would approach and try to trip up, and he always made them look bad. They did not like him. This is the one who claimed to be God in the flesh, Messiah, and they knew based on their thoughts that he couldn't be him because he was no king in their eyes. This is the one whom they watched die on the cross. They watched him die because they wanted to be sure that he was dead. This is the one whom the disciples said, he's risen. <laughs> no longer in the grave. He's the one who, after he had died and gone to the grave, he's the one that they couldn't find. They couldn't find his body, so they made up a, a, an excuse and said, oh, the disciples stole him in the night. Jesus is the one that Paul loathed at that time. 
And he was on a mission to destroy all the followers of Jesus and wipe them off the face of the earth. And now this one, this Jesus, shows up to Paul on the road to Damascus, and he says to him, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. In other words, it's difficult for you to resist the direction I'm providing in your life. It's hard for you. You're fighting, you're resisting, and it's uncomfortable. Well, this morning, I want us to think about that phrase. It's hard for you to kick against the goats. And the reason is because I think we're all there today to a certain extent, or we've been there. And we probably will be there in the future. A goat was an instrument used by farmers to get their oxen to plow in a straight line or go in a certain direction if they were hauling a cart. It was a simple instrument, a long wooden stick with either a sharp end or a weight on the end, and that's how they would direct the oxen. If they got offline, they'd, they'd poke them a little bit, maybe swat them with the weight to try to get them back in the direction they want them to go. If the oxen refused to uh, go with the first little one, they, they would start with a light tap or, or just a short prod, and if that didn't work, it would get a little firmer, a little sharper on the point to try to get them. Now, I don't know if you've ever been poked or prodded. It's not pleasurable. Someone smacks you and you think, oh, thank you. That was so nice. So the oxen would kind of resist it. They didn't like it. They would kick back at it. They would buck, and, 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 and they didn't like what they were experiencing at that moment because the farmer was trying to get them to go one way, and they wanted to go another way. So he was trying to get them back in line, and it was difficult. And that's how Jesus describes Paul here. He said, you're like the ox. You're going in the wrong direction, and you're resisting when I prod you to get you in the right direction. So notice three thoughts with me this morning about kicking against the goats. First of all, we all resist the plan and way of God. You could also entitle this first point, you dumb ox. <laughs> Amen? I think we can all relate to that. Jesus said that Saul was resisting God's plan and God's purpose for his life. Now, Saul was a student of the Scriptures. He had much of the Old Testament committed to memory, probably far more Scriptures than maybe all of us combined here know by memory. He knew the law. He knew the history of Israel. He knew the teaching of the prophets. In fact, if you read his writings, they're filled with quotes from the Old Testament. He was well-schooled. However, he had failed to connect the dots with the scriptures in Jesus, even though all the scriptures pointed to Jesus, even though he knew the scriptures, he just didn't connect it together. You see, Jesus is the promised Messiah. He is the Redeemer. He's the one who fulfilled all Old Testament prophecies, and yet Paul and so many others in that day who knew the Scriptures totally missed it. And because of that, he was resisting it. 
He was resisting the movement of God in his life. He was resisting the scriptures. It's speculated that Saul was present when Stephen preached in Acts chapter 7. And Stephen preached a great message, and yet he missed the message of who Jesus was. Now understand this, Saul was struggling, and he was struggling to do what he thought was right in his own mind. And in his own mind, he thought the best thing to do is to rid this world of these Jesus followers. And in doing so, he thought he was doing the will of God. He thought he was pleasing God, even though he was doing exactly what God didn't want him to do. But in his own mind, he thought that. He had the truth in front of him his whole life, and he missed it. He resisted it, refused. Some speculate that it was possible that Saul could have even heard Jesus speak in person and seen him. We don't know that, but it could have. Now, as I thought about this, I looked at my own life and I, I realized this. We all kick, kick against the goads at times, don't we? I can recall when my sister Pat and my brother-in-law Fred first started telling me about Jesus and sharing the gospel with me. They would tell me that all people were sinners, and even though I was a sorry dog, I didn't like to admit that. They would share the scriptures with me. And I remember back all those years ago, one of the things that really infuriated me is them sharing the scriptures with me. And I'll tell you why. Because it was true. And I couldn't argue against it. I couldn't defeat it. I couldn't wiggle around it. They pointed out Romans 6.23. It says, for the wages of sin is death. I didn't like that because I know who and what I was. Then they told me about Jesus and how he loved me. They would quote John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And they shared that God loved me so much that he gave his own son for me to have a right relationship with him. And then they told me that if I would believe and if I would admit that I was a sinner and, and repent of my sin and accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I would be saved. For Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. They told me that. Well, I fought this. I argued with them for months. I got mad at them before I ultimately submitted. And like Saul, I said, yes, Lord. And I embraced Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Can you relate to that? For you, maybe your salvation experience was a little like mine and that you heard it many times and you resisted it, you fought it, you tried to argue it away, you, you tried to diffuse it. Or, or maybe you're, you're trying to fill in another way. You're trying to be religious or you're trying to be a good person and you're trying to make yourself good enough to where God will say, oh, you're so awesome. I embrace you. And you're trying to get to God on your terms and not his. And it's not working very well. We're kicking against the goads. You see, we're a stiff-necked people. We're hard-headed. Amen? Come on. You see, you don't want to admit it, and I'll tell you why. Because you're hard-headed. 
In fact, Jesus, uh, God in speaking and writing about the scriptures uh, over and over again and dealing with Israel, he called them stiff-necked in Exodus, Deuteronomy, 1 Chronicles, and Acts. Over and over again, you stiff-necked people. You're hard, obstinate, stubborn. It has the idea of one who knows the truth but refuses to apply and submit to that truth. That's us. It was Israel. A man named Stephen stood and preached a sermon to the Israelites in Acts chapter 7. And in that he said this, he presented the gospel and he said this, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised and eat hearts and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. He shared the gospel with them, and then he told them this, and guess what they said? They all fell on their knees and embraced Jesus as Lord and Savior, right? No. They drug him out, picked up some rocks, and threw those rocks at him till he was dead. Stiff-necked. Hearing the truth and yet refusing to submit to it. Maybe, maybe you're resisting God in some areas of your life today. Maybe he's directing you to serve. You know it. But, but you just won't. Maybe to teach a class. Because you're gifted in that area and you know it. And he's prompting you and yet you say, mm, I don't want to do that. So rather than submit to him... You resist. You, you kick against those goads. Maybe it's about sharing your faith. You work with someone or you know someone. Maybe it's a member of your family and you know they're lost and God's prompted you to, to share your faith with them and you, uh-uh. No. You're kicking against those goads and you're saying, no, I, I won't do that. Maybe he's directing you in a relationship. Maybe to reach out to someone and, or maybe to humble yourself and apologize to someone to restore a relationship and you stomp your foot and you say, no, I won't do that. You're kicking against the goats. Maybe God's moving in your life to surrender to full-time ministry. And you know it. He's speaking to you. He's calling you. And yet you cite your deficiencies, why you shouldn't do it, and you simply refuse to surrender and be pliant in his hands. You won't do it. Maybe God is moving you to serve others. Maybe to give up something that's very precious to us, time. But you say, I'm too busy. I can't do that. I won't do that. Or maybe he's directing you to give financially or specifically to missions or to, to someone else and, and, and you simply say, I can't afford it, I won't, I refuse to. You're kicking against the goats. So can, can we all just be honest this morning and just say, sometimes I resist the way and plan of God. Can we do that? All right, then let's do it. Let's say it with me. Sometimes I resist the way and plan of God. Say it again. Sometimes I resist the way and plan of God. Let's be honest. We'll all do that. And then know this. When we do that, when we resist, we hurt ourselves more than anyone else. 
You see, here's what I found when I'm resisting. I can get a little surly. My words can be sharp, cutting, harsh. I know that shocks you. But you can probably relate to that too. And you know why? You know why that is? Because on the inside, I'm miserable. I'm resisting. I'm struggling. I'm fighting. And I'm, I'm unhappy. There's no joy. There's no peace. There's no fulfillment. There's no purpose. I'm just a living wreck. Here's why. Because when we resist, it hurts us more than anyone else. When the farmer used that goat on the ox, it was for the ox's benefit. It wasn't to hurt the animal. It was so that animal could fulfill its purpose in life. That's what an ox did. An ox plowed. An ox hauled the cart. That's why God created them. In his grand design, he had a plan and a purpose for that ox. So when the ox refused or resisted, he would, he would kick against that gold. He would jump, he would buck, and, and, and the farmer would have to be more forceful. He'd start out lightly, but if he wouldn't, wouldn't adjust it, he'd be a little harder, he'd a little harder, and, and it was un, unpleasant for the ox, and, and sometimes the ox would kick, and he would fight, and, and as he was jumping and the farmer was poking, sometimes the point would pierce the ox. Or sometimes he'd kick and he'd hurt his hoof on the ox, on the goat. And, and so it was damaging for the ox. It would cause him injury. Well, Saul was on a mission that was hurting him. You see, in, in Paul's mind, he was thinking he was fulfilling the word and plan of God. But in reality... Saul was hurting and resisting the plan of God and ultimately was hurting himself. He was not happy. He had no joy or peace. Can you relate to that a little bit? If you don't believe me, again, check out verse number 9. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the... Doesn't sound like a happy camper, does he? Why? Well, he's resisting. He's a miserable person. He's a violent person. He wasn't happy. He, this verse doesn't, doesn't paint a good picture of his contentment, his relationship with God. Ultimately, he was wasting his time fighting against God instead of serving God. And was hurting him. You see, God had a plan for his life that was to be a benefit to him. And Saul was missing it. When we resist the plan, God's plan for our lives, we do more damage to ourselves than anyone else. Now, as I said, when, I, when I'm there... I get surly, I'm hard to get along with, I get mean, and, and I hurt other people. And, and that's also the, a result of it, that we, we hurt those around us. But the one who gets hurt the most? Me. 
Because oftentimes we can damage our character, we can damage our reputation, we can damage our relationship with others. We hurt ourselves and we push people away from us. Just like Saul, God has a plan for us. He has a purpose for our lives. He created us. He designed us for that. And that is always to benefit us the most so we can fulfill our purpose because the only way we'll be fully happy and content in our lives is to do what God wants us to do. So when we resist his prompting, when we resist his leadership, we miss out on what he has for us. I can't imagine how much peace, joy, and blessings we've been deprived, we've deprived ourselves of because we kick against those goats and we miss out on what God has for us. How miserable we've, how much miserable time we spent in our life because we failed to submit and to surrender to God's, relation, uh, God's leadership. Maybe to apologize to someone or maybe admit we're wrong. And we've just missed out on so much. How many people, I, I wonder, have we negatively affected in our lives because we failed to share our faith with them? My cousin Jackie Redmond uh, tells a great story. He was, uh, went, after graduating high school, he joined the Navy. And while he was in the Naval, Navy, someone shared the gospel with him and my my cousin Jackie accepted Christ as his Lord and Savior, and he was excited. He got out of the Navy. Man, he was on fire. Everywhere he went, he would share the gospel. He was in a country kitchen, a restaurant in town, uh, in our hometown, and he was sharing the gospel with somebody, and he saw somebody he knew from high school walked in and sat down. And so Jackie got up from where he was, and he went over, and he started a conversation with this guy. And shortly into the conversation, my cousin Jackie started sharing his faith with him. And the guy he'd known said, well, oh, yeah, I know that. I believe that. And Jackie said, really? He said, oh, yeah, I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. And Jackie said, when did you do that, man? That's awesome. He said, oh, I did that when I was in junior high school. And Jackie said, you know, we were friends in high school. How come you never told me about Jesus? Maybe I could have avoided some things in my life had I accepted Christ earlier. How many people could say that about us? I knew you, and you never told me. James chapter 4, verse 6 and 7 says this. I love it. But he gives more grace... Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Notice that, but he gives more grace to whom? To those who submit to him. Those who become pliable in his hands. We must stop resisting. We must stop being stubborn. Here's why. It's hurting us. We must yield to God and submit to his will and his word in our lives. And then the third thing I want to share with you is this. God is working to get us in his way. Now, one of, the, one of the scriptures we all love is, is found in Hebrews, and it says that Jesus will never what? Never leave us. Man, I love that, don't you? Unless I'm resisting him. And then I wish he'd just leave me alone. 
but he doesn't. He keeps on and he keeps on and he keeps on and he, and he won't let us go. He's, and here's why, because he's working to get us in the way and he's using that goat on us and he's saying, don't resist me. I'm prodding you. I'm prompting you. I'm moving you to get you in the right direction. Don't resist me. Now, as I looked at this passage and I thought about it, I thought this. If there was ever a person who we might understand God not going after, it was Saul. I mean, come on. He was a problem. He hated Christians. He was trying to destroy them. So for you and me, we might think, yeah, we could uh, kind of let him go. But I'm so glad God doesn't think like us. Saul was a self-righteous Pharisee. He, like the other Pharisees, viewed himself above and better than others. One Pharisee put it like this in Luke chapter 18, verse 11. As he prayed to God, he said this, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. Wow, what arrogance. What pride. Oh, Lord, I'm so glad I'm not like them. That's horrible, isn't it? It's something we would never, ever say or think, right? Saul was killing Christians trying his best to stop the spread of the gospel. He had rejected the teaching of Scripture and God's movement his whole life. And yet God shows up on the road to Damascus. Jesus shows up and he speaks to him. He calls out to Saul, and he's trying to get Saul to submit to God's plan for his life. Saul responds by falling to his knees. And in verse number six, he says this, he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Not that he thought it was Jesus. Or he was just saying, hey, here's this bright light from heaven. I'm going to take a quantum leap here and say, this must be a God thing. So he says, Lord, speaking in general terms. And, and, and he says, who are you? Or the, uh, the voices says, you're kicking against the goads and, and, and you're resisting me, you're persecuting me. And he said, well, who are you? And he says this, I, I'm Jesus. Ooh. But you got to catch the rest of it. He says, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, Jesus, you are Lord in a moment. I remember the night I accepted Christ. I remember it so vividly, and I, and I prayed. And, and in that moment, my life changed. And in that moment, Paul's life changed. A radical restoration and reformation of his life. He calls Jesus Lord, and his heart is changed in that moment. He goes from persecuting the followers of Christ to joining them. He goes from calling Jesus a fraud and a phony to calling him Lord and yielding himself to him. 
In verse number eight, uh, check that out. He says, then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. Why? Because that's where Jesus told him to go. So he submits, and he walks in obedience to the word and will of God and goes to Damascus. In verse number 18, check it out. He says, immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. I submit to God's will in my life, and I'm going to go in the waters, a declaration of my faith that I believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a confirmation, and this is going to ruin him in the Pharisees' club. But he doesn't care. Here's why. Because he's Lord. That's why. And I know him now. I didn't know him before, but I know him now, and his life has changed. In verse 20, check that out. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. And he was a powerful weapon because he already had the Scriptures memorized. The light came on, all the dots connected, and he said, wow, this is who he is. And so he was able to rattle off the Scriptures in reference to who Jesus was, and he did. Later in Acts chapter 11, he's teaching the word of God in Antioch. In Acts chapter 13, he receives a call from God to go throughout all the world, and he goes into Asia and to Europe, and he spreads the gospel. He's a key figure in getting the gospel around the world. God used him to pen 14 of the 27 New Testament books. Saul goes from being one of the most vicious and ardent opponents to Christ and Christianity to become the beloved Apostle Paul. An amazing transformation. A dedicated and committed follower of Christ who impacted the world with the gospel. Jesus makes this simple and yet profound plea to all of us. Here it is. Follow me. Follow me. Forget who you are, what you are. Just follow me. Submit to my word and my way and my will in your life, and I will make you fishers of men. I will use you to impact the eternal souls of those around you. Not make a name in this life, but impact people spiritually and eternally. You see, God wants to radically change our lives. He wants to take us from where we are to where he wants us. And he's using a goad to get us there. And we've we got to quit resisting. He's moving in our lives. Yes, right here, right now, right where you're at, at home or in your car, wherever you're viewing this, God's prompting you as well. To submit to his will for your life. He's prompting us, encouraging us, sometimes using the gold to get us where he wants us. We can only be all God wants us to be when we submit and surrender to him. It's the only way. Stand with me, if you will, with your heads bowed. As you reflect upon your 
life this past year or maybe just the past few days? What do you see? Did you tense up as you heard God's word today? Knowing that he's moving in your life, moving you in a certain direction, and you've been resisting that. Maybe it's something I didn't even touch on, and yet the Holy Spirit's honing in on you in your life. It's time to surrender. It's time to stop resisting and give yourself completely to him. And once again, simply say, Lord, I'm in. I surrender. I'll do whatever you want. Maybe for you it's a time to take a trip to this altar, a place of sacrifice, and surrender. Have a heart-to-heart talk with your Lord. For some here today, maybe you have never personally accepted Christ into your life. You know about him, and like Saul, you're familiar with who he is. But you've never taken that step of faith, yielded yourself to him. You see, you're trying to get to God your way. You don't want him to have control of your life. Well, if you've never done that, I, I simply want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. So if you're here today and you're not sure, honestly, you just say, you know, I'm really not sure I've ever taken that step of faith. I just want you to slip your hand up. I just, just want you to slip your hand up. Is there anyone like that? Anyone? I don't see any hands, but there's probably at least one here today. And you're resisting, maybe even resisting raising your hand. Well, that's okay. I understand that. But I do ask you this, at least give us an opportunity to show you in God's word how you can know. We have people standing in the back over here by the glass doors. They want to talk to you and they want to show you. We're not going to put any pressure on you, just show you so that you can walk away today with absolute assurance. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for your truth. And God, forgive me for resisting. How foolish that is of me. And Lord, again, I yield myself to you and I give myself completely over for your will to be done in my life. God, my prayer is that each and every one will take that same step today and give it up. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 